Bow down before Him, for 
lift our voices this morning to the one who is life, the one who is love and brings light to the darkness. Let's sing of his greatness. Will you stand with us? Your praise, 
Jesus, you are great. You're gracious. You're good and kind. And we worship you. It is good to be with your people, to join our hearts and our voices together in praise. Thank you for the gift of this opportunity to worship you. We pray that it will honor you and please your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, take a seat. Good morning. My name is Doug. One of the things I get to do around here, uh, kind of going to be kind of new for me as far as uh, since we've launched, is we're going to get to start talking about more of our what we call our training center ministry. And uh, if you're part of the, the campus over in Rogers before we came over here, you're probably familiar with the training center over there. And I've had several people who've asked me since we launched, are we going to do training center here? And the answer is yes, we are. And we're starting this fall to offer some opportunities, and we're going to see if we can't expand those as we move forward. But I want to talk to you a little bit mainly about the kind of the vision and philosophy behind the training center. What, it, what is it we're trying to accomplish with this ministry? We talk about producing and releasing uh, spiritual leaders, disciples, people who are followers of Jesus, who have an influence for Christ, both in Northwest, Ar Northwest Arkansas and the world. And as we think about what does it take for you to be able to do that, uh, we realize that in order for you to do that, you have to be prepared and equipped. And so the training center rose out of a desire to give you the tools that you need to be prepared and equipped for life in ministry. And so we have classroom experiences where you can study God's Word or even study how to study God's Word. Uh, we have other experiences where we can learn skills and develop uh, the ability to, to, to live out ministry in, in a real practical way. And that's what the Training Center vision is about, is to help you become better prepared and equipped for the life and ministry that God has for you. And so when we offer these opportunities, that's our vision for, the, for, for those classes and for those experiences, is to, to push you down the road in your walk and in your journey with the Lord. And so I want to talk to you about a couple of those opportunities. So Don, if you want to come on up. The first one, we're doing something kind of new. Uh, we're, we're developing training cohorts or, le or learning cohorts. 
uh, where we're going to go through some of our training center material, but we're going to do it in, in small groups that are committed to doing this over a period of time. And if you're interested in something like that, uh, jumping in with a group of about 10 to 15 folks who over the next about 33 weeks will, will meet regularly to go through some content. Uh, we're going to have an informational meeting following this service over in the conference room. And after uh, last service, I was told nobody knows where the conference room is. So let me tell you, over in that building upstairs, you can go in this side door or you can go around the other side door, whichever is comfortable, go up the stairs and go all the way to the east end, and it's the small room uh, over to the north side of the building. And if you don't get directions east-north, well, that's okay. Just come over there. I'll be standing out there going, hey, we're over here. So anyway, if you're interested in that kind of ministry, then I want to talk to you and meet with you and just answer questions uh, after our service. But the reason I have Don Reed up here, this is my friend Don Reed. And Don has been with Fellowship for years, and he has done an incredible ministry in, in this area of developing and helping you become all that God wants you to be in the area of generosity. I heard someone say, and it may have been Don Reed, that we are no more like God than when we become generous because God so loved that he gave. And so Don has an opportunity that he wants to present to you guys, and so tell us about what you've got going. Thank you, Doug, for the uh, kind words this morning. <clears throat> it's great to be with the, the uh, Bentonville congregation for the first time in uh, Sunday morning up here. Mark, I was thinking the last time you and I uh, shared a message back in October was the last meeting out. It was at Orchard Park, Orchard Park, before you did the uh, Christmas Eve service there. So great to be here. Great to see the folks this morning. I have a couple minutes to announce something uh, and unpack the little paragraph that's on the screen behind me. Uh, the phrase is up there, it's not what we want from you, but it's what we want for you. That can apply in a number of different uh, situations, but I want to isolate two this morning. And the first one is, that is God's attitude toward us. What he wants for us more than what he wants from us. For example, forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, uh, a church like this where we can grow and encourage each other and pray for each other. Uh, it is more what he wants for us than from us. But it's also true in this very local situation here. Uh, just the very uh, DNA of fellowship fits into this definition as well. What we want for the people, like <clears throat> my wife and I who are part of fellowship, each one of you as you come in, the different campuses that are, that are developed now. Uh, for example, when you come to a service like this, the church fellowships want, fellowship wants for you a good worship experience. Thank you, Seth, and your team for doing that Sunday by Sunday. Uh, they want to have good teaching. Mark, we're trusting you to do that again this morning, but we've sat under Mark for the last dozen years, and uh, a good history there. But it's what we want for you more than what we want from you. But I want to, in the next minute or, minute or two, to just unpack uh, an exciting new development in that concept of what fellowship wants for you. And it is, in simple words, a free will and a trust for every household that takes advantage of it. You say, what? A free will and a trust? Yes. We, we started partnering in July 2021 with an organization out in uh, California uh, that it, for 40 years has been providing free will and trust for evangelical Christian organizations, churches being one of those categories. How do I get into that flow and get a, 
new will and trusts if you don't have one, or refresh will and trusts as I talk to a number of people at the break between services. I already have one. Well, you can get it refreshed, updated, uh, brought up to the 2022, which you want to do. Uh, enroll in the Align class. There is a, a QR code on here. You can even pull out your phone and uh, get registered now. There's probably going to be, or there is a cap on it, and maybe some limitations on the classroom there, Doug. It only seats about 45 people. Uh, but you register for the class starting two weeks from today, September 11th, uh, scheduled for the 10.30 hour, and then uh, finishes on October 16th. And at that last session, we're going to give you the secret handshake or <laughs> uh, how to get in. And here's what you will get. You will get a coach to take you through a process which I know is intimidated and morbid and we never get around to it, but you will be given a coach to help you through the process. Uh, my wife and I just had lunch with a couple on Thursday. We co-lead a community group over in Siloam Springs and they just finished on July 16th and they said, that was so simple, that was so easy. And we want you to have that experience. We want you to have peace of mind. You can use the QR code. You can uh, go online and sign up under the training center. I'll be out at the information desk after the uh, service. If you have any questions, come and we'll chat. All right, thank you, Don. Hey, would you stand with me, please? As we're gonna prepare to receive our offering list. Uh, we're gonna sing a song about standing firm on God's word. And as we move forward in this service, I just want to remind us, as, as my good friend Mark Schossman tells us all the time, uh, Bible is our middle name here. And we base everything we do, everything we believe, and even everything we practice as followers of Jesus on the inspired Word of God. And so as we pray and as we sing, let's thank God for this gift, this generous gift of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are a generous and giving God. Lord, we could not ever begin to give back even a fraction of how much you've given to us. And so, Lord, we want to give you our hearts and our lives and, uh, and our attention this morning, our worship, our praise, and our adoration. And Lord, as we look into your word, may we see your face. May your spirit transform us into your image so that you may get glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Yeah. 
God, we're so grateful to stand here and proclaim the power of the blood of Jesus. God, we are here for you and through you. And God, by your spirit, would you please open our eyes and our ears to see you and hear you more clearly as Mark brings um, your words to us now, Father. Let it fall on fertile soil. God, we wanna see you. Show us more of who you are and how to go in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. We're kind of wrapping up the summer season. For our home, that means we wrap up well over half of the 15 birthdays that uh, happen in our summer season. Uh, the last of which was for our youngest, who turned 16 a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we did for him what we did for his older brothers when they turned 16 about a decade and a half ago, and, uh, and that is uh, we invited the significant uh, men in his life to kind of gather around him. Uh, so for him, it would have been his older brothers who are adults now, his uncles, would have been his cell group leader, some of the uh, people in our student ministry, but also the, the group of men who've been part of Lisa's and my inner circles, the ones that he would probably call his local uh, uncles in the area. And the goal was to bring them together to encourage him. And so we started by grilling an absurd amount of meat. And we garnished it with just enough vegetables to show that we were adults. And then we pulled our lawn chairs together around him, and I asked the men to encourage him in his journey as a young man, to give some kind of token of good or godly masculinity. And see, really, the goal was real simple. All we were trying to do as older men is to give a younger man both a sense of his identity and a sense of his purpose. But at the end of the evening, something fascinating happened. The most encouraged 16 people around that circle were the older men reminding ourselves of what our own identity and our own uh, purpose is. This is a picture of uh, what uh, Lisa took as she looked outside into the backyard. I started off by giving Parker a, a gift that I was very similar to the gift I gave his older brothers when they were 16. It was a brass compass. On the inside of the brass compass was engraved my favorite verse on biblical masculinity. On the outside of the compass was just a phrase, go north. The idea is simply this, that a compass always and only points north. And our compass, God's Word, always and only points north as well. And our true north is Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact that we look constantly at that compass, take that journey to pursue Jesus, and the wise man never does so alone. He knows that he has spiritual friends beside him and spiritual guides out in front of him. And that community is called the church. Well, that's all we've been trying to get our minds around the last few weeks. We're in this little mini-series between the series we did on the Gospel of John and the one that we'll launch next week on the book of Ephesians, this little mini-series that we've called God's Heart. Hunter kicked off the series by talking about God's heart for our lives, and that's that we would be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In other words, that we would absolutely be consumed with going north. And then Abel, the next week, talked about God's heart for us as a, a community, a church community. 
And that is that we would live side by side with one another as spiritual friends and spiritual guides, and we would make that journey together. Well, this morning, let's try to ask the question, what happens when we take that journey together? What happens not just for us, but what happens in our city? Let's try to get a vision for God's heart for our city. It was uh, J.R.R. Tolkien who uh, coined this phrase, and you know the phrase. You've seen it on water bottle stickers, coffee mugs, and tattoos, right? The phrase is that not all those who wander are lost. I like this phrase, but I have to tell you there's a little part of me that has always said, yeah, true, but not all those who wander are really on a journey either. Some of them are just going round and round in circles wearing the tattoo. How do you know if you're on the journey and you're wandering or if you're lost? Well, that little line from Tolkien actually comes from a very short six-line poem that's in his novel, The Fellowship of the Ring. And the whole point of the poem is simply this, that life is about a greater king who will one day come and be crowned, and us journeying towards him, and that day is how you're a wanderer. See, for Tolkien, a wanderer was somebody who lived with a bigger, more grand purpose in life. I think he would be rolling over in his grave to find out that his poem had been turned into a travel motto or a coffee cup. In other words, when we chase after a journey with a greater purpose together, we are going north. Well, the apostle Peter, he talked to a group of wanderers who were on a greater journey together. Oh, they were discouraged. Persecution had rolled in on them unlike we have seen in our age. And when you start to suffer that long, well, you just start to feel lost in your journey. So Peter said, it's time to circle the lawn chairs. It's time to get a good sense of our identity again and our purpose. And he wrote a letter called 1 Peter, and we're going to open up just four little verses in chapter 2. And we're going to take those four little verses in two separate parts, a two-part sermon. The passage begins in chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter says, But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I notice that the very first thing God wants all wanderers, all people who journey with a bigger purpose to see, is their identity. We must know who we are if we're going to figure out what we're about in life. Because our being leads to our doing. That's all because our doing actually comes from our being. In other words, it really matters not whether you're a 16-year-old teenager or you're an 86-year-old legacy member in our congregation. We have the same foundational need, and that is to see clearly our identity because identity is that foundational. In fact, I want you to notice how Peter describes our identity. He does not describe it as a future wish, does it? 
does it? He talks about a, a present reality. He says, you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of God's own possession. Now, he says, now today, this morning, you are God's people because now you have received God's mercy. So if you're someone who has received God's mercy, meaning you have placed your faith in what Jesus Christ has done in his cross and his resurrection, and that his work becomes your only work for being right with God, if that is the mercy you've received from God, this is your identity now. And it really doesn't matter whether spiritually you see yourself as awkward and confused as a 16-year-old teenager. The reality is you are who God says you are. His voice is that clear and sure. And I want you to notice how everything Peter says about our identity is voiced in the language of the fact that we are a singular people. Not a large collection, not just a big group of individuals. So he doesn't say, and you are a bunch of persons. No, you are one, you plural, are one people. In fact, he calls us part of a greater race that he's chosen. The word race is the Greek word genos. We get our word genetic from it, or genome. A biologist would tell us that our genome is the substance that puts out a genetic code that makes you, you, and me, me. Well, Peter here says that because of God's mercy imparted in our life through the Holy Spirit, we now have a genetic code that makes up a substance that the you and the me comes together with a whole bigger vision of life called an us, the church, a people of God's own possession. Yes, we have an individual identity, but that new identity now is traded up to something so much bigger, a people, the church. That's what Abel was teaching last week. We're each individual members of one body. The power of that member comes from the unified, healthy body. Peter keeps pushing this point forward, so he doesn't mind using lots of metaphors that even come from the Old Testament. Not just a chosen race, he says, but we're actually a holy nation. It's interesting. We as a people, citizens of the United States, uh, we are founded under a, under a charter called the U.S. Constitution. What's the first three words? Yeah, we the people. I think it's the most powerful three words of that charter. It would make no sense to read the rest of that charter and read it as, I the person. Now, we know this describes a united nation that's governed together. Well, that's how God sees the church. Individuals formed into a separate nation. And the church is this new nation that transcends our temporary, very temporary, national boundaries. That's why when you take a peek into the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it gives us a scene of the church gathered in worship under King Jesus. And it says, I saw a people from every tongue and tribe and nation. This new nation called the church that God makes will be made from every ethnicity, every race, 
every people group on this planet. And again, to make sure we're grabbing this point that there's a, we've traded up from a small vision of individual life to a big vision of a community life, Peter keeps pressing the point. You're a people of God's own possession. A people. So imagine what God sees right now at 11.10 a.m. this Sunday morning. He doesn't look at this service and just see a bunch of individuals seated together in gray chairs who will then file out out of here and, and, and slowly but very happily go in single-file traffic out of here. No, he doesn't see that. He sees a body, a collective that he is proud of, that singularly he gives a name to us, a new name, the church, the bride of Christ. Now, make no mistake about it. Does the sovereign God see your individual needs? Yes and amen. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows your fears. He sees your anxieties. He understands your doubts, your questions. He will meet you where you are. And then he will love you so much, he will ask us all to trade up to a bigger vision, a vision that goes from me and mine and you and yours to us and ours, a collective vision of a church that he leads in unity with a new identity. See, I think that's why it's possible to live a flourishing Christian life solo. Our new identity can be summed up simply as this. According to Peter, he says, we belong to God together. We belong to God together. You know, none of the men that were on my text thread that came around my son knew what the other was going to say. The most repeated thing heard around that circle, don't do life in isolation. Live as part of a team. Plug into the bigger community called the Church of Jesus Christ. In fact, I looked at my son and said, buddy, do you know what they call the man who chooses to journey alone? And he said, no, what, Dad? I said, lost. He's just moving in circles. And the only thing more dangerous than a man who's lost is a man who's lost and doesn't know it. Yeah, we do life together with a new identity unified under Jesus, which is why I think the kindness of God gives us ordinances in the church. Ordinances like communion that we take together, symbolizing our unity and fellowship with one Jesus, right? One Lord. But also baptism. Baptism is so profound. Baptism actually preaches a sermon. Every time you see a child or an adult get baptized in this congregation, you've heard a two-point sermon. Point one, that child or that adult goes into the water, comes out of the water, and they have said, just by doing that, I belong to Jesus. His death and resurrection identify me most now. And then they have said, and secondly, I belong to his church. I am doing this with my people and as a part of my people. Because there's no such thing as a private baptism. You know what they call a private baptism, right? A bath. Baptism is always public because it's a statement. I belong to Jesus and I belong to his church. And so I wonder now if it's time to shift and let the Smith family preach this next portion of the sermon. As Jude and Jules will be baptized this morning. 
Would you stand and celebrate in song as we then join their family and celebrate with them? Let's lift our voices. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. Fellowship Church, this is my son Jude, and this is his story. So he went to vacation Bible school at First Baptist Church, Pea Ridge. This was years ago. This was four years ago, actually. And uh, a friend of a, a friend's sister uh, had become a Christian, and so he came home that night and started asking Jessica and I questions. And I can remember sitting uh, in our bedroom, our backs against the wall beside our nightstand, and we just started going through, going through Scripture and answering questions, and that eventually led, led to a prayer. 
And um, Jude, you've heard me say, or at least I, heard, I hope you've heard me say, that the Christian life is a pursuit of holiness. And a pursuit means that that will not be, uh, will not be quick, but it will be a daily following, a, li- a lifelong pursuit, actually. <clears throat> so um, that pursuit you can't do alone, as we've talked about. We're here with our church that's why there's so much family on stage right now. That's why we have friends, because we all are here to help you in that pursuit of holiness. That's why everybody's going to cheer here in just a second. And so, just for your story, I'm reminded of a story in Acts. Um, there's this guy in a chariot, and he's trying to read Isaiah, and he's confused. And so, God instructs a follower of, a follower of God named Philip. God instructs Philip to go and talk to this guy. And so this guy has questions, I'm sure it was similar questions to what you had after vacation Bible school that night. And after he, um, after he believes, Philip says, hey, you can get baptized right now. And that guy's like, sweet, let's do it. And that's how your personality has been, and it's taken us four years to get here. <laughs> uh, through a pandemic, through searching for a church in northwest Arkansas, uh, we are finally here. And buddy, I'm so happy that we're here with you, and I'm happy that we're here with fellowship. So... All right, buddy, if you want to come back here and sit here. Is it your story that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and gave you eternal life? All right. I baptize you, my son, and now my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I did not think this out too well on being able to scan on my notes on my phone. So, <laughs> all right, Fellowship Church, this is my daughter, Juliet, or if you hang out with us much, we know her as Jules or Bean, and um, this is her story. So, um, Fellowship Bentonville, when we opened this campus, we had an open house, and at that open house, we had communion, and... Jules wanted to be a part of that communion. So that afternoon, she started asking questions. And so in the same way Mark was talking about baptism is such an awesome opportunity to share the gospel, as, as is communion. And so we had that opportunity that afternoon, and one of the coolest things as a parent is Jude was in that conversation helping as well. And so we were answering questions together. Um, just such an awesome afternoon. Um, and after, after she prayed and we, we figured all that out, most of the people on this stage... Um, were called, uh, our family was called, uh, our friends Obermans were called, and we just all kind of cheered and celebrated on the phone together uh, on that Sunday. So, um, <clears throat> Jules, you've been raised in church, you're going to continue being raised in church. And uh, John Piper has a story that I love, and I've told our community group this several times, I love this story. He, he, he gives an example of being raised in church, kind of being similar to if you were raised with the Swiss Alps in your backyard. Swiss Alps is, mount, is mountains. So you have these beautiful mountains in your backyard. And if you're not careful, you can forget their beauty. It becomes normal. And so being raised in church, my prayer for both of you guys, my prayer is that God's grace, God's love, um, God's character will never grow normal but the, the beauty will continue to captivate you at multiple times in your life. And so, 
Sweet bean, if you want to sit down, it is my... Yeah, yeah, put your feet down. There, there you go, sweetie. I don't think anybody can see you now. (laughs) All right, so Jules, is it your testimony that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and gave you eternal life? All right, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. let's celebrate that together this is the reality in their life and in our life in our lives every life that claims Christ this is our reality let's sing it out no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And all God's people say, Amen. Feel free to be seated. So in that circle around my son, men gave these tokens of godly man's identity, but then they immediately started rolling into the application of that identity. In other words, they started saying, this is kind of how a godly man will begin to live his life. And I love that they did that because they were recognizing something that happens about identity. Identity has to be lived out in practical ways. Otherwise, it's really not identity. It's called theory. And who wants to live theory when you can live life? See, identity always flows to a new way of living. So it is for us as the church, which is why verse 10 rolls right into verse 11. Verse 11 then continues, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know the term, anybody know the term third culture kid? Some of you are even raising your hands in the back. Some of you have lived that life. Some of you who are here uh, working and living among us and your your, uh, nationality is another country, you are living that life. The term third culture kid describes someone who grew up in a nation that is not their nationality of identity. 
I first heard the term when my daughter was engaged uh, to my future son-in-law. He grew up as an MK, spent all of his life overseas, and a a woman in this church who also married a man who'd spent all of his life overseas said, Kayla, I want to meet with you and take you through this book called Third Culture Kids because this will help you not want to kill your husband later. And it talked about what happens when you have an identity in one nation, but an experience in another. And as I listened to Kayla recount what she was learning in that book, I listened to my wife say, oh my, you just described your father. I grew up as a military kid who grew, who moved more often than most and lived uh, most of his formative or many of his formative years overseas. But here's the reality. As a Christian, Peter says we are third culture kids. We are those who have have the identity of another nationality and yet live our experience somewhere else. And he calls us sojourners and exiles. Sojourners means someone who's not at home. Exiles means you're a temporary resident. So every follower of Jesus is a third culture kid, a child of God. Which means that every follower of Jesus lives with a little bit of tension as they walk this world. On one hand, they know that they belong to God and they belong to God together. And that gives you a sense of having a home spiritually. But on the other hand, they know that this world is not our home. They wonder, why do I feel like I never fully fit in here? Welcome to the normal Christian life. And if you're walking through suffering this morning, if you've experienced rejection, or maybe even for a few of us, outright persecution. You feel this tension most acutely. In fact, I believe that one of the gifts of suffering is that it reminds us that this world is not our home, that we long for a home that we're going to. But while we're here, this new identity of belonging to God together and walking this world as third culture kids, well, it comes with a new way of living. Look at the new ways that verse 11 and 12 describe. It says, yes, we belong to God together, but we don't belong to this world. And so as a result, two commands sit on the table. One command is there's something we reject. Uh, There's something we abstain from. And that's the things in this world that feed the dark passions within us. But the second command is that we engage the world around us honorably. And this new identity leads to this new way of living, and, and it's so ironic because you would expect that if we were really embracing this new way of living, that we're living in this world honorably, you would expect a certain kind of response from this world, a response that we would be celebrated. And yet Peter says we should expect conflict. Expect it. Don't be surprised. The only people who are surprised are the ones that forget that they're sojourners and and exiles. He doesn't say if they speak against you. He says when they speak against you, meaning your right way of living will be met possibly even by slander or you're unfairly treated. What do you do then? What do you do when you respond to this honorable, uh, you're getting uh, reacted to for this honorable way of living and you get rejection. 
Do you fight fire with fire? Did you go say, you've leaned into me, I'm going to lean into you now? Peter says, no. You stay on the way. You stay on the way of Jesus with a new way of life. You got one upset. He says he goes from living honorably to doing good deeds. You respond with an uncommon kindness. You respond with an illogical sense of goodness and generosity because that is the life of Jesus among us. You will be misunderstood. You will be misquoted. You will be mistreated at times. There's times your kindness, it'll be taken advantage of. Your generosity, someone will abuse it. Your pursuit of God's vision for marriage or gender or sexuality, well, you'll be mocked or even maligned. But what do you do? You lean in with more good deed, more honorable, a kind of conduct that just looks unworldly and causes people to lock in to the presence of God among We keep living the ways of Jesus. Peter says, when you do that, they'll see your good deeds. They'll see your good deeds. You know, there are two arenas that I've noticed in our world where the commonplace thing to do is just to be dishonorable. One of them is sports. If you act honorably to the other team or the refs, you're a freak. No, it's just expected. The other one is social media. And in those two arenas, the only ground rules are disrespect and dishonor. Hey, I'm back in the stands on Friday nights for high school football. I did that for a long time, and last Friday we were back. I cannot count the number of times my wife Lisa, at times in sporting events, had to shoot me sideward eyes. And then at times where she would turn her head and lock in with narrow eyes that just shut my mouth. And I'm talking about sporting events that didn't matter. We're not talking about a Razorback game where some championship was online. We're talking seven-year-old soccer, okay? I distinctly remember a time sitting in a high school set of bleachers where I shouted an opinion that I thought was very correct that could have helped coach the whole coaching staff up in a very loud voice that unfortunately happened right at the moment that the crowd went quiet. And it came flying out of my mouth and her face turned to me and she said, right now, you go sit with your friend up in the press box. And you don't come down here until you say two words, yay, team, that's it. You just almost like you could hear somebody from the rest of the stands go, you're right, pastor, it's just shameful. Oh, it was dishonoring, but it was totally expected in that arena. How about social media? The next time you post, take what you've typed before you click send or post, run it through the grid of 1 Peter chapter 2, and ask if it looks like honor. Yeah, but I might be right. Good for you. Would you rather be right with your opinions 
or walk the way of Jesus. Ask yourselves, when my coworker reads this, will they say, that's a good deed. That's somebody I would want to look to more and hear more of what they say. Folks, we are entering another political season. Could you be found guilty of having a voice that's just too kind and honorable? You know, by the way, if you're accused of being too kind, don't interpret that as being too nice. Nice and kind are not the same things. Kind is a fruit of the Spirit. It has the fingerprints of the divine all over it. Nice, it's just an appropriate way of doing life around here. Kind, it's one more up. And it begins to look like the Spirit of God in our life. The truth is, anybody who disagrees with us will only be won over, at least if you take Peter's words at face value, which I do, because he took them from Jesus, They'll not be won over by the clever meme or the snarky post we just made. They'll be won over by our good deeds. That's what Peter says, and he got it straight from the Savior himself, which is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's an identity statement. You have a new identity. You are a light now. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Okay, how do we give light to the city that we live in? That's my question. Jesus answers it in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your, yeah, your good works. And glory, or give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, I believe if Jesus were sitting around that circle of men in a lawn chair two weeks ago, he would have given out his symbol of good and and godly living. And that symbol might have been a flashlight or maybe a headlamp or a lantern. And he would have looked at us and said, hey, your new identity, you are the light in this city. And so your new way of living, shine your light through your good deeds Let those good deeds draw people's sight to your heavenly Father. and Let him savor your Savior. As a church, I dream of us living in a city where our neighbors and our co-workers look at us and say, I don't get you. I mean, I don't know that I even understand your belief system about truth or about God or about heaven and hell. I don't know that I even agree or understand your your worldview about gender or sexuality or marriage, but here's all I know. You're the best neighbors. You might be the most generous people in this city. You certainly can outserve anybody else in this city, and you're kind as you do it. Makes me wonder if you all really do care about us. I think you might. And then we would say we do. We care so much that we would want to introduce you to the God who cares about you far more. And their eyes would go from good works to the Father who is in heaven. And they would begin to glorify him. Men and women, that is not a pipe dream. 
That's the vision of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in this passage. But that's the exact vision that Peter just said in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says that when we embrace the new ways and the new identity, well, God gets glory. That in verse 9, he says, when we live out our new identity and, and embrace that, well, then we do that so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him. Our lives give him glory when we embrace that identity. That's our, our number one passion. But secondly, he says, as you live out the new ways of Christ, in verse 12, you do so, so that, here's the purpose clause, that they, who's the they? The city you just received mistreatment from. They would see your good deeds and give God glory as well. The end purpose is the same, that God would have the glory he's due. He'll get that from our lives as we live out our identity and worship of him, but he'll also get that from our city as they see the way the church lives and the way we point with our good works to him. God will get glory from his people. Folks, that's God's heart. That's God's heart for our lives. We call it worship. That's God's heart for our church. We live in a unity that conducts ourselves honorably and lives out good works. And that's God's heart for our city, that they would see that and say, there is something different. No, there's someone different about you. And their gaze would go to God. In our home, we call it going north. You want to take the same journey? Me too. Hey, would you stand? And can we ask for God's grace and favor as we take that journey together? Oh, Lord God, we, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has marked our lives and adopted us as your children. And you have put us in our city on assignment. And oh, we want to live on assignment. We want to live honorably, lives filled with good and gracious deeds that point to you. But we cannot do that on our own. But right now we ask for help. Thank you for being patient with us when we fall short. Embrace us now dearly and closely so that we would be filled with your power to walk together with lives that point to you. That's your heart, Lord Jesus, so that's ours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this morning, if you are brand new to us, first of all, we would say thank you. You are part of the reason that we are here. We don't like newcomers. We love newcomers. And we, by the way, know it takes a little bit of courage to be a newcomer here. I've often thought the only thing more frightening than going to a new church on Sunday might be going to the dentist on Monday. Right? You feel like you're breaking up somebody's private dinner party and you wonder if you're really welcome. Well, we actually think you are welcome. And we'd love to get to know you. And so our Welcome and Connections team is at the community booth right in the foyer, and they would love to say hi to you. But as well, we always have a prayer team, and Donna and Tim are on our prayer team this morning. And as Tim was praying for us early this morning, out loud he said, Lord, if there is someone who's carrying a burden this morning that you don't want them to shoulder alone, would you give us the privilege of praying with them? So they are right up in front of the baptistry and would be happy and willing to pray with you. 
And then lastly, we'll kick off our series on the book of Ephesians next week. I cannot tell you how excited I am about that. You talk about identity and lifestyle, oh my. They're going to come together in such encouraging ways. But our team has put together a resource, and the Fellowship Benville team did a lot of the pioneering of that, and they're out there for sale for the Ephesians study guide. So if you would like one of those, grab one, and if you want to use a digital copy, they're free on our website. Feel free to use that. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.